This morning's scripture reading is taken from Nehemiah 1, verses 1 through 11. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah. In the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in Susa, the capital, one of my brothers, Hanani, came with certain men from Judah, and I asked them about the Jews that survived, those who had escaped the captivity and about Jerusalem. They replied, the survivors there in the province who escaped captivity are in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been destroyed by fire. When I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, fasting and praying before the God of heaven. I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Both I and my family have sinned. We have offended you deeply, failing to keep the commandments the statutes, and the ordinances that you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses. If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are under the farthest skies, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place at which I have chosen to establish my name. They are your servants and your people, whom you redeemed by your great power and your strong hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. At the time, I was cupbearer to the king. Here ends the reading of the word. So we begin a new year together coming from lots and lots of different places, lots of different stressors going on, hopefully some good things, challenging things. A year that we all move into, uh, 2020. And so to begin with, we're going to um, think about building our lives, I quote here Hebrews on faith. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And I decided with this title to go building our lives, but another one that I was thinking of was simply stories of faith, prayer, and fasting. Because that's where we are going to see our protagonist going. So faith, what is faith? For the writer, the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So to say that, it means that faith is not fundamentally about intellectual belief. It is not fundamentally about creed. It's not fundamentally what you think, and you can recite some creed. It has that component, but that's not what it essentially is. What it essentially is, is my trust and conviction and assurance in God and my walking with God. 
how you live your life with God. That is really what your faith is about. Too often we think in terms of creed, intellectual understanding. And then we critique one another on what your intellectual understanding is or mine. But what God is really concerned about is how we walk with Him. So we begin a new year. So the question we begin with is how are we building our lives? How am I going to walk with God in this new year, this new decade? How are you going to walk with God? What is your conviction about walking with God and depending upon Him? So that's where we tie into these stories. Some of them will be Old Testament stories. Some will be New Testament. We're going to kind of go with these different individuals and characters up to the beginning of Lent. So for the next six or seven weeks. First one we have is... Nehemiah and his response of the plight of Jerusalem. So we'll just set up the scene a little bit by asking some questions. So where does this take place? It takes place in Susa, which is the winter capital of the Persian king, which happens to be modern-day Iraq. So this week we heard about some events in Iraq, did we not? which causes a lot of anxiety, a lot of fear in our world. What are the Iranians going to do in response to the general who was killed? What will America do in response to that? So everything is up in the air. In this very same place where Nehemiah tells his story and has his challenges. So it's very relevant to where we are. So we have a map here. Not sure if you can get all of that, but you see, uh, let's see, uh, right here, that would be the Mediterranean, all right, right there. That is Turkey, that is Israel, and as you go that way, that is the Persian Empire. Maybe you can see that there, the Persian Empire. Empires come and go, you know what I mean? In terms of the biblical scene, uh, after uh, the, the prophets are having a hard time. The Assyrians come in, and, and that is a new empire. And they're in for a few hundred years, and then the Babylonians come in, and they're in the great empire in the world. And then by the time we get to Nehemiah, it's now the Persian Empire. Following the Persian Empire, it's finally the Roman Empire. These empires come and go in history, as will the regime in Iran, and the regime, if you like, the administration in the U.S. Things come and go over the centuries, so be it. And Nehemiah is in this city of, uh, whoops, I'm going to go back to that. Um, sorry, that's what I want, this little button. Susa is right in around there to the east of Israel. So that's where it is uh, in terms of next when? It's about 150 years after Babylon, the, the fall of Jerusalem. Do you remember kind of your church history or old history of Israel and so on? The big challenge was that Israel was going to be sent into exile because they hadn't been following uh, in covenant with God. And so under the Babylonian regime, the whole country of Israel is indeed sent 
into Babylon because the Babylonians, what they would do is bring in new peoples. They would populate the, the area with new peoples and the people who were there go back to Babylon and now they have to mix and it's a way of um, forcing their culture on different nations. And so, indeed, Israel is in Babylon for 70 years. At the end of that 70 years, some of the Israelites go back but most of them still stay in Babylon. And that was 90 years before Nehemiah. So people have been back in the country for 90 years, almost a century. Things still aren't all that good because the devastation on the country was so immense. 10 or 12 years before Nehemiah, Ezra goes back. And we have that book, Ezra, in the Bible. Interesting, in the Hebrew Bible, Ezra and Nehemiah is one. The two stories go together in this one book. <clears throat> a decade before Nehemiah, Ezra comes. So that kind of comes to Israel, tries to get things going, move ahead a little bit. Nehemiah is back in Persia. So that, it's at that point when he hears from a brother who has just come back from uh, Jerusalem, What's going on? So what? So a brother comes 10 years after, and what they find out is that things are not very good. There's a physical predicament. The walls of the city are all broken down. The gates, it's a, it's a vulnerable city, Jerusalem. People can come and go. Enemies can come and go. In that day, that's, that was a tremendous thing. People lived in fear. People lived in anxiety. That's what Nehemiah is hearing. And not only that, there is this reproach upon the people of God, the city of the great high king is, if you like, a laughingstock before all the peoples. Sometimes you'll hear rulers saying that, uh, oh, in America, let's say the airports are such a disaster. I can travel to the Far East and I'll be in an airport that is so amazing, so wonderful, but ours are not. You'll hear Trump say things like that. And so, that's kind of what's going on with Jerusalem. It's not doing very well. If you go to Jerusalem now, the old city is walled, completely walled. The walls there are the ones that were built by the Turkish folks in the year about 1600. Makes a big difference. You go to Quebec City, Quebec City is a walled city. It was there built for protection. So you get the sense of it, we want to try to put our mind in the reality of what Nehemiah was facing. So he hears that his beloved country is in desperate situation. He's in Persia, in Susa, and he has this relationship with the king because he's a cupbearer. He's beginning to think, hey, maybe, maybe I can do something about this. Maybe I can help. And he starts reflecting. So he goes to it in terms of a prayer, and that's what Tamara read, essentially a prayer. And note how it begins in verse 4, with mourning, with fasting, and with prayer. Mourning, fasting, and prayer. And as we read some of these different stories next week in Nehemiah 8, and then we're going to look at the book of Esther, then we're going to look at the book of Daniel, all of them have this recurring theme of fasting. So what is there about Fasting that the folk engage in as a way of connecting to God. I think we can learn something about this. We like to get whatever we want and eat it whenever we want it. 
Maybe it would do us some good if we couldn't do that all the time and we had to actually reflect and think about our food and where it comes from and our connection with God. But mourning, fasting, in prayer. And interesting, he does this for four months. Not just for a night. For four months, he doesn't say anything to the king. He is just in relationship with God, nurturing that relationship, and obviously thinking also about what needs to be done. But he's giving time in his own mind before he comes to his fundamental point of raising this subject with the mighty king of Persia, who, if he doesn't like you, just gives one nod and you're done. And I get a new cupbearer. So this is what's going on in his heart. <clears throat> Chapter 2, we see that he'll be thinking about what needs to be done. He starts thinking through, well, I need to get from safe, I need to get there safely if I'm going to go back to Jerusalem. He also says we're going to need lumber and resources if we're going to build. He's thinking all this through before he has this conversation. But he goes to prayer and he goes to this issue of mourning and fasting and taking our relationship with God seriously. So that's Nehemiah's response. So some of the dynamics of his actual prayer. One, there's five that I'm going to note. One, he's empathetic. He's compassionate. When was the last time you heard a story and your response was to break into weeping over that? You identified with the story so much that you start crying because you are in solidarity with that individual or with that situation. I don't think we do that all the time, but sometimes we do. Compassion, empathy, that's Nehemiah. So he's not just a name, okay? He's not just a name and a story that happened 400 years before Christ. This is a person, a character, and we're looking at his character. So he's a compassionate, empathetic individual. Generally, we would like that, right? We'd think that's good. Secondly, he's discerning. He has a vision for what needs to be done and how he may play a role in how this works out. So he's discerning. He doesn't just act. He thinks it through. He's praying for four long months before any action is taken. Third, thirdly, he participates. When they finally come to building the wall, he doesn't, doesn't take just a manager role and say, okay, this needs to be done, this needs to be done. He throws himself into it, and he participates all the way through. In the years that come right now, following here, if we start building this project next door, it's going to call for a high level of participation. The general rule in churches is that 20% of the congregation do all the work and 80% don't do anything. Now, I'm not suggesting that's the case here. But if that is the case, we're going to have a hard time pulling this off because 20% of the people won't be able to do it. Nehemiah is ready to participate. He's ready to just jump right in. That's his character. And he perseveres. Perseveres, four months in lining it up, and then we're going to see that they actually pull it off in 50-odd days. 
They build the, rebuild the walls of Jerusalem in 50 days. He is the project manager. Excellente. Samson, your project manager. This is like he is the best, man. Pulls off this big project in 50 days. It's huge. And he's not worried just about his own comfort. He's not worried just about his own convenience. He's got a good gig, man. He's cupbearer to the king. He's in a really wonderful situation. The only thing he's got to do is he's got to bring the wine to the king and sip it in case somebody poisons it. That's the negative thing. <laughs> somebody tries to pull a fast one, he's the first one to go. And then the king says, ah, good, good, good on you, Nehemiah, as he finishes his life, terminates, but the king is safe. That's, that's the role, seriously, that was the role of the cupbearer. He's prepared to pay a price to pull off the vision that he was engaged with. And if we're going to follow in 2020, seriously, in our walk with God, then it honestly is not just about your comfort or my comfort, your convenience and my convenience. If that's the self, if that's the case, then we're just building for ourselves. We're not thinking about God and his work too much at all. So Nehemiah was ready. He was ready to engage and ready to pay a price. And finally, it's about remembrance. He remembers what God has done. His whole prayer is based on, God, you have said these things in the past, and if we engage in such a way, you will draw us back. It's, it's referencing Deuteronomy 30, where there's this covenant established. But it's remembering. It's the fact that God remembers us, and that we remember him. And so we have that statement by Brueggemann, we know who we are because we know whose we are. We know who we are because of whose we are. And we, who, whose are we? Well, we are God's. Honestly, we are God's. He remembers you. Remember just means to member again. He remembers you. You in your life. You in your reality. You and your lineage, you and, and all of your ancestors. He knows your story completely and is with you, walks with you, wants to be a dynamic, dynamic reality in your life every day. He wants that with all of us. The amazing creator of the universe remembers you and remembers me, and he wants to walk with us. This gives him delight. So how sad it is, it must be sad for God when we turn away and just want to do our own little thing. We have this amazing feast, and instead we're at a table with a few crumbs. So will we enter into the feast of 2020, the banqueting table? Isn't that a great image of Jesus? Come to the banqueting table. Come and experience life, fullness of life. And right now we're just sort of set, we're setting the stages for the life that will become, which is our future eternal life. But that life begins right now. It already begins as we say yes to Jesus. It's not just pie in the sky in the future. So Nehemiah knows about that. He takes that seriously. And he's ready to upset his life for the cause and for the vision. So that's the dynamics that are going on with Nehemiah. But we can also hear the dynamics of God in this midst. And there are three characteristics. And one is that he is powerful. 
That's why we sang awesome God. Because the text calls God awesome right there. He is mighty. His strong right hand. Most people in the world are right-handed, and that image is used of God. He's got a right hand, strong hand. That's his right hand. He is powerful. And he's powerful for you and for me. So we don't have to live our lives in anxiety because we have these two powers that are saying we're going to get each other. We are not to go to fear. We go and we stay in trust, which is walking with God. That's what faith is. So God is a powerful God. He's a powerful God for you. He's a powerful God for me. He's a God who opens doors. He also closes doors. But he opens doors. The best doors for you. The best doors for me. God is powerful. What else? God is a God of mercy. God of steadfast love. Again, the text says that in verses 5 and 6. God's mercy, God's kessed, God's loving kindness. Nehemiah says, remember who you are. Who are you? You are powerful, and you are a God of compassion and mercy and steadfast love. So just as we love our own children, so God loves us. He loves you. You may feel like nobody loves you. Well, God loves you. And more people love you than you may be even aware of. God loves you. He loves me. We are redeemed by God. And so we have that text in Deuteronomy 30. Then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have compassion on you, gathering you again from all the peoples among whom the Lord your God has scattered you. And then the third characteristic is God is a God of covenant. And covenant does not mean he makes a contract with us. Covenant is not just saying, if you do this, I will do this for you. And if you do not, I'll do something else. We can read these covenants as if they were contracts, but that misses the point in the word covenant. God makes a covenant with you and with me. He loves us. It means he's in relationship with us. God is in relationship with us. And so therefore, the covenant continues to stand. This morning, after we have our finished this talk, we're going to have a song, and then we have communion. And Paul talks about the new covenant. We have a new covenant, a new covenant of love. It goes back to Isaiah and Jeremiah, a new covenant means he has a relationship with you and with me. A million years in our time might pass. God's relationship and covenant stands. God is outside of our puny little years that we think are so important. God is God. God is the God of the centuries. So what? 2,400 years have gone from Nehemiah to now. The psalmists say a thousand years is like one day. It's nothing. The point is, God is in relationship with you. God is in relationship with me. And so his power and his love speak to you and to me in our reality, in relationship. He remembers us. He loves us. He's in solidarity with us. A mutual remembering. So when we go forward, we have a year. All right, what is the year? 
Well, Nehemiah was a builder. Interesting, in reality, he wasn't a builder at all. He was an administrator. He had a good way of tasting wine. That he was good at. He could tell the difference between a Pinot Grigio and a Chardonnay or a Sauvignon Blanc. He had it all down, man. Reds, whites. He knew beyond that. Just red or white. No, no. He knew the different types. That's what he was. But he ends up becoming a builder. A builder restoring the walls of Jerusalem so God can take us and use us in mighty ways that we don't feel we have any training at all for. Because he does that with Nehemiah. But we have the questions, what are we building? <clears throat> what are you building? Here we got a new year. Imagine, first Sunday, first Sunday of 52 Sundays coming, of 10 more years. We're just starting this. So what are you about? What are you building about? That's what... That's a real question. We think of Nehemiah. We think of his life. He was about a vision for God, wanting to pull this off. What about us? What's our vision? What's our vision for our families? What's our vision for our church? What's our vision for your career? What, what's your vision for your life? All of those things. What are you building for? And we can build for self, Tower of Babel, or we can bring God into the equation, a beautiful math equation where God and you work together and the sum comes out the other end, a beautiful thing. Because we're not just doing our own thing, we're working with God. We're walking with God. I don't know, does that make sense? That's what we want. I think that's what we want. We have one last slide, and it comes back to our faith. It comes back to you in walking with God. It comes back to me in walking with God. In your reality, in my reality. Robin, my friend, uh, Yvonne, who's been in our church, he's in Cochabamba, runs a coffee shop, directs two different churches, one Spanish, one Brazilian. That's his day, making coffees, bringing in Brazilian treats, hopefully trying to sell them. And in the midst of that, walking with God. And you and me are here in Ontario. You got your life, I got my life, and now we're called to walk with God in the midst of all that. And we can do it in a way where God is honored and glorified, or we can do it where he's forgotten just forgotten. Typically, we don't do things that are really negative and bad, and we know God hates them. <clears throat> we just forget them, that's all. We're just more apathetic. We just put a big bracket around God. That's part of the math equation, put a bracket around it and forget it. And then we try to carry on in our lives. And God is saying, no, 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 let's do it together. Let's walk together. 2020, your life. To feel God's power and God's presence in your life, my life, as we go on this new year, build our lives on Him in faith and prayer and fasting. Next week we'll talk a bit about that. In Jesus' name, amen.